We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic speed is headed over the North Atlantic. Once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman, she drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. I feel retrogasmic. 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 With Danny Deluxe and Hattie LeBomb. Welcome to the Retrogasmic Podcast. We are back after the Christmas break. Happy New Year. Hmm. Um, I hope you all had a, a good holiday and um, did all those good Christmassy, New Year, Hanukkah, whatever your particular thing is. Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, yeah. yeah. Festivus. Yes, and those, yes. Mm. Um, Krampus, is that one as well? I think Krampus is is a, a kind of a demon that eats children who are naughty in Northern Europe. Sounds good to me. Okay. Fantastic. Anyway, welcome back. Um We've been very busy recording the new Boom Boom Deluxe album, which is going very well. Um, apologies for the extended break, but we've got two or three shows in the pipe, so we will crack on. Now, do you remember our last, uh, the end of the last show, we were talking about, um, we should do a steampunk show. Yes. Well, we are. This is it. Ooh. Exciting, I can tell. Um, we are going to be talking to the lovely Cat Douglas, who is kind of the steampunk queen of New Zealand. And we've also got um, a rare blues track. This is an absolute corker. It's a song by Blind Blake called Diddy Wa Diddy. Sounds good already. <laughs> um, triv. What's what's the trivia? Let's, let's kick for off with the, let's kick off the triv. So it, it's it's all steampunk relevant. Who wrote Journey to the Center of the Earth? Mm. Oh come on, it's not a hard one. No, it's not. You know this one? Yes. Yeah, well, you've got edumacation, though, haven't you? Hmm. Yeah. You didn't spend your time kicking footballs against a wall and you actually went to school, didn't you? Yes. Okay, so who wrote Journey to the Centre of the Earth? Um, answers on a postcard. Today's rare blues song is the wonderfully titled Diddy Wa Diddy by Blind Blake. Um, Arthur Blind Blake was born in America in 1896. Um, he is a bit of a, a, a mystery. He recorded for about uh, six or seven years for Paramount Records. Not much is known about him. Um, the Paramount Records promo uh, stuff says he was born blind and they give his birthplace as Jacksonville, Florida. Um, there's a few people have written about him saying that uh, once during a recording session he slipped into a, a Geechee or a Gullah dialect, which um, a bit of Googling reveals was um, like a slave patois. Uh, the, the Spanish brought um, slaves from Africa down to the, the islands off the coast of Georgia and Florida. So there seems to be some kind of uh, connection there. But apart from that, um, no one really knows much about him at all. Uh, Ry Kuda copied this song, did a cover of it in a 73 or 74, I think. And uh, a couple of interviews have said he's one of his favourite guitarists and he thinks the guy was a genius. So um, not much else to say, really. 
Have a listen to this. This is um, absolutely wonderful. It's off an old scratchy 78. It's Diddy Wire Diddy by Blind Blake. There's a great big mystery And it sure is worrying me This Diddy Wire Diddy This Diddy Wire Diddy I wish somebody would tell me what Diddy Wire Diddy means Little girl about four feet four Come on pop and give me some more of your diddy boy diddy Your diddy boy diddy I wish somebody would tell me what diddy boy diddy mean I went out and walked around Somebody yelled, say look who's in town Mr. Diddy boy diddy Mr. Diddy boy diddy I wish somebody would tell me what diddy boy diddy mean Daddy, you sure is sweet, Mr. Diddy Boy Diddy. Mr. Diddy Boy Diddy. I wish somebody would tell me what Diddy Boy Diddy means. Somebody would tell me what did it, what did it mean? And now, on with the show. Hello. Hi, Kat. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Now, um, we have been asked by a few people if we would do a, a show about the steampunk scene, especially the scene, steampunk scene here in New Zealand. And I put a few feelers out, and it didn't take long for basically everybody to say, talk to Kat. So I'm talking oh, okay. to Kat. <laughs> you sure are. This yep. is fantastic. So let, let's start at the beginning. Let's assume that um, people listening in aren't that in the know about the whole steampunk thing, if you like. Um, I think most people are aware of it. But um, just give us a bit of background. Where did it come from? Um, you know, what, what's it all about? 
Okay, steampunk is retrofuturism or the future as the Victorians imagined it would be or how about Victorian science fiction, Victorian science fiction. So it's an alternate reality basically. So start Victorian and then go from there. And it came about in a book uh, in the 80s. It was mentioned in a very early book, the the term steampunk. Um, in a yeah. So am I right in thinking it's it's a subgenre of cyberpunk in a way? Um, yeah. Well, it's definitely yes, it is. It's definitely linked. And yeah, there's a lot of subgenres now with steam, goth, and. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I mean, while we're talking about the subgenres, um, again, I've had a couple of people message me and say, "Well, ask about this or mention this." And um, what is? Now, let me get this right. What is uh, neo-Victorianism? Um, it, it really is the the future as the Victorians imagined it would be. Okay. So we're not trying to strictly be Victorian. Um, but we're recreating elements of it. So you would not have Victorian women going out with their corsets showing, for, for instance, or ankles on things. And we we most certainly are doing that. So we're modernising Victorian clothing. They had beautiful and ideas. They had beautiful craftsmanship. It was the Industrial Revolution. Science, there was a lot of scientific innovation so yeah, we're just creating it in the modern world. So, so this, the, the late eighties is where it kind of sprung out of the literature. But surely there's been, um, I mean, you know, I'm not the, the greatest read of people, but surely things like uh, people like Jules Verne kind of did that. I mean, the whole. I mean, I'm thinking of Nemo's Nautilus. That seems to me like a steampunk ship. Yeah, it, it really, really is. So they had these, they had these ideas anyway. They were sort of imagining a different future anyway. When you look at H.G. Wells and things, of course. Yeah. So it's just, it's just very much, yeah. Okay. Carried so, on. So, so some of these other subgenres, which I'm finding, I mean, I, I, I had put my hand up. I knew nothing about steampunk at all. We, obviously, we, we are at, at a lot of vintage events, so we see people from the New Zealand steampunk community there, but uh, you just kind of think, well, they look cool, but that's basically all I know. What What's silk punk? Um, silk punk has not taken off so much over here. Um, is it more of an Asian thing? I think it really is. We've got a lot of, there's a lot of multiculturalism going on in steampunk which is really good. That's cool. So if, if you look at the, the Japanese scene and the Chinese scene, you've got, you've got people over there doing some pretty wonderful things and they're bringing their culture into it. And we've got that. We've got definitely got that here in New Zealand. We've got people bringing, you know, Māori sort oh, of... Oh, cool, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know colonialism into it because we're a pretty new country in some ways here you know we did not have we yeah we, we the, New Zealand was not discovered by 
um, Europeans um, until the 1700s. And really, people really only started sailing here and living here in the mid-1800s. So it was Industrial Revolution, so it was right bang it, on it that It really time. was. Yeah. So, now, yeah. A couple of people have said to me that the, the, the steampunk scene over here um, if you dropped it into the world scene and compared it to what's going on in the States and in Europe, um, there's, there's a leaning towards diesel punk over here. And then it's more like a kind of a Mad Max car generated thing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we definitely have um, diesel punk is big over here. I think that links to things like um, the gold rush and things. There's... Um, a festival in Omaru, but a festival in Thames as well. Thames definitely has a more earthy feel. It's more Mad Max with what they, with the outfits and the, you know, vehicles and things they drive. Yeah. So yeah, diesel punk is pretty huge and I think that's a lot to do also with Kiwis sort of do it yourself sort sure. of. Sure, yeah, yep. that, that makes sense. Now, talking about vehicles, now I hope I haven't got this wrong. Someone said to me that you own a motorized teapot. <laughs> um, yeah, I sure do. Um, it's a yeah. <laughs> I'm not I laughing do. at you. I'm laughing because that's just <laughs> such a a wonderful, wonderful. I, I love the idea of Sunday morning going to pack and save in my motorized teapot with a completely straight face. It is pretty weird and wonderful. I do drive to work in it. It's a broken mobility scooter that my partner and I um, basically took apart and rebuilt um, with, you know, hardboard and foam and shaped into a teapot and painted up so it looks... (laughs) Looks copper. Um, people, it, it gives most people a bit of a giggle when is it they. Is legal? Uh, well, because it's a mobility scooter, it's legal. Um, driving it on, so I'm driving it on the footpath. Oh, it's okay, gotcha. Go to, it's not going to run people right, over. So it's a, moder- a moderately paced vehicle. You're not shooting along the highway at 100 k's in your teapot. Unfortunately not. I'm always hopeful that I can talk my partner into putting a much faster motor into it, but we'll see. So people either think that um, they're seeing things or they find it a bit of a laugh, and that's that's good, you know. That's, get- that's, that's wonderful. So tell me, how did... Um- how did you guys get into steampunk in the first place? Because you've, you know, um, you're obviously really involved in the New Zealand scene. What, what, you know, what was? How did you go from being a, a kind of a, a, a normal run-of-the-mill Kiwi to suddenly being involved in this? Um, well, back in the day, because I'm terribly, terribly old, um, I was gothic. So in my teens and twenties, quite into the goth scene. Right. But um, I went to design school um, in the in about 2004, and what I was designing was prob- was was quite Victorian-esque, but modernised. And then my flatmate um, had gone on the internet and said, found early steampunk creations, and said, "I think what you're into." Is steampunk. Um, ah. I did, didn't realise there was a name for it then. So you were just, already doing it instinctively, and then someone uh, yeah. said, "Hey, there's other people doing the same thing. That's fantastic." Yeah. 
I so think a lot of people do find that that way. They're making stuff, they're creating things, and then they realise somebody says, "Hey, that looks a bit steampunk here." So, when you were at design school, were you making like works of art, or were you making clothing? Um, I was making clothing, but I always wanted my clothing and designs to be wearable art, right. and yeah. So now you're, as I understand it, you're best known for your hats. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Yes, I did train in millinery, and that's sort of, which is hat making. It's a bit of a dying art. It doesn't get taught very much anymore. So I was very lucky to get taught that. Um, and that, that really is my passion because they're all one-offs. And they it is. You're wearing a work of art on your head you can be terribly flamboyant it's and then the rest of you can be perfectly normal and yeah <laughs> so uh, do you make a living doing this now I mean how how much of your life does I, this take up um <laughs> all of it so I've got a I've got a shop called Grimstone and Treacle Emporium in Christchurch and I um make and sell steampunk clothing and I've got a lot of you know, local designers and artists who sell through that. I run a local group called um, Steampunk Christchurch where um, we meet up and do different things. It might be playing battle croquet at a picnic. It hang on, might hang on. Be... I've got to stop you there. You've just battle croquet? <laughs> it, it's it's not, not nearly as violent as it sounds. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I was lucky enough to go to a festival in the UK a couple of years ago called The Asylum, and it would be the longest-running steampunk festival in the world, strictly steampunk, no other genres right. coming in. Um, and they, And I was talking to a guy there who had invented battle croquet it's pretty much all silliness and you are distracting the umpires by throwing flower bombs into the yeah the battle pitch the croquet pitch which is literally a bouquet of flowers and spies and it's just this sounds a, like a, something from Alice in Wonderland it's it's it this pretty is pretty much is it's fantastic it's, Strange, wonderful, and nobody really keeps up with the rules, and it doesn't really matter. So, if someone wants to uh, like check out the stuff you've got in your shop, I'm assuming you have a website. I sure do. I'm on Facebook, but yeah, I've also got a website as well. Not everything is on there because there's so many individual products. Of course. But that's a it's a good. Do you want to plug? Give us a plug. What's the what's the website address? It's um, dub 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 dot grimstone. That's G R Y M M S T O N E and treacle. Grimstone and Treacle. Dot com. So find us that way or find us on Facebook. So And uh, apart from the stock of, I mean, I'm assuming you must have stuff coming in from designers and stuff you're making, but do, yep. do you do commissions as well? Because I, I suspect there must be yeah. people that have a particular thing that they like and they can't find something, you know, if they want a, a, you know, a, a top hat Most, that's flower proof yep. or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Most definitely do do commissions. We get quite. I get quite a few people coming in there, 
um, asking for particular things. And if I can't do it, I can generally find someone who who can do. So, so what's the, apart from the the the, uh, the festival you already mentioned, what's the biggest um, uh, the biggest festival in New Zealand that's that's pretty much uh, kind of steampunk focused or, or is solely steampunk? Does such a thing okay. exist? Yes, it does. Um, the steampunk. New Zealand Festival in Omaru is the biggest festival in the country and next year um, I help, I'm on the committee helping organise that, it's a big team of volunteers, it's in midwinter every year, next year is the 10th anniversary so it's going wow. to be huge. And what sort and of attendance does that get Kat? Um, you get you get thousands pouring through the town just to have a look on Queen's Birthday weekend because Omaru is a very small little town but with a beautiful Victorian heritage area. But we've got a lot of people coming in from overseas um, for next year. That's fantastic. From America and a few from the UK. So it's great for the town as well. It's great for the community. it's it's a really good thing for Omaru. It's pretty wonderful. So, so in all of your travels, because I'm assuming yep. you've been around the world going to various steampunk things, it sounds like your entire life is absorbed with this. What's the most uh, extreme or impressive or over-the-top kind of steampunk thing you've seen? I mean, I, I can imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the, the futuristic Victorian yep. thing. I mean, are there things like airships or something? And, Yep, airships are great. I've seen things like um, monowheel cycles, which is a a guy sitting inside a large wheel. I think I've got a video of it somewhere, um, driving around in that. I've seen, you know, extraordinary costumes where one woman had a train so long she had wee minions to help her move. It was <laughs> huge peacock feathers and things. Um Asylum in the UK was pretty amazing, but having said that, I've seen some pretty amazing vehicles over here, wheelchairs that have been steampunked up, <laughs> I've, um, people have taken Star Wars and, you know, like done things with that, turned that it, yeah. To, yeah, into a Victorian sort of, and yeah, there are people who are making modified sort of airship vehicles that just drive along the ground, there's actually, there's a guy in Dunedin who's built a pretty, pretty good one. But um, I think probably the best thing I've seen is teapot racing, which was... <laughs> teapot racing? Yes. Um, Simone, Simone Monty from um, Dunedin invented that, and it's taken off all over the world. So basically you're putting a, a teapot on a um, remote control, you know, vehicle, take the car off, do up the teapot, make it insane looking, and you've got to run it around an obstacle course, which... Oh, so it's like a remote control car, but but a steampunk teapot. Oh, I had visions of, like your one, I had visions of people in mobility scooters terrorising people in the high street. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. That would be great. (laughs) If only somebody else can build one or or if somebody could build a mobile teacup and sugar bowl and... That would be a complete dining set. Now that would be yeah. That would be great. I have 
may have convinced a few people that not only is there a teapot roaming around Christchurch, but there's like a somebody's driving a toaster oven <laughs> and somebody's done a microwave, and unfortunately they believed me. That's wonderful. Not being disrespectful in any way, it sounds yep. to me it's an outlet for people that have a... Uh, eccentric leaning and don't yeah. don't have a in their normal lives don't have a way of, of expressing that would you say that's fair yes I definitely think that I also think we tend to get a lot of older people too who sort of have had you know straight laced lives straight laced lives and yeah. they're sort of beginning to think it's actually time to have a bit of fun in life you know, and it's, and, not, it's not a very yeah. Kiwi thing. Kiwis tend to be quite kind of low key and understated. So, the, I mean, this is this is the the kind of the flip side of the Kiwi personality. It's fascinating to see. Uh, uh, yeah, it really is because not only the other thing is I've noticed we've got a lot of very shy people, people who are quite socially awkward or feel shy, and they've used steampunk as a way of sort of overcoming that whether it's taking oh. on sort of a steampunk persona and pretending to be that character but they sort of yeah have found their way through that they're talking to like-minded people and most of us are you know geeks we're into our history or it you seems know like a very they... mutually supportive friendly group from what i've seen uh, yeah, I think much it like really, the pinup really scene, is. actually, a very similar yeah. kind of thing. Everyone's accepted, everyone's kind of encouraged, and which is only a, you know can only be a good thing. You know? Yeah, it's a great thing, yes. and I yeah, now, much better. Very very quickly, because um, yep. I won't I won't keep you all day. I could talk about this all day. Um, obviously, being a musician, I was curious because most subcultures have music, and there didn't yes. seem to be a lot of steampunk music. Now I did Google it. And I found a couple of American bands that uh, I don't want to be rude, but I wasn't that convinced by. It looked to me like they were kind of a rock band that have decided that if they dressed up as steampunk and made some cool videos that they might find themselves an audience. Is that fair? Um, I think it is to a degree. I think there are a number of bands who have just are dressing up in the steampunk clothing, but they really are more rock bands. Sure. But there are bands out there doing sort of swing-type stuff, music sort of from the 20s. We've got some bands happening here in New Zealand, like the Merchants of the Time Travelling Tea Trade. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a mouthful, which is an Omaru band. Um, people say, ask me, what is steampunk music? I think it's a bit like steampunk itself and it's sort of you you decide right. what steampunk music is to you so but there's lots of ways be, of expressing the kind of the core concept if you like it, yeah it is i would i would love to see something using more victorian-esque yes type music like i'd ch love to chamber see music or something yes. yeah. Yeah, and yeah there are a couple of there are a couple of smaller bands who do that and you're you're seeing you know cellos and things used and that's that's beautiful so yeah i think it's going to it varies from Fantastic. country so, country, so just so. just plug your website one, one more time before we go because i'm sure people listening are going to be curious to have a look at some of the creations and and and, and see what we're talking about it's www.grimstoneandtreacle.com so that's grimstone g-r-y-m-m -M, 
S-T-O-N-E. And treacle like the sickly sweet yep. syrup. <laughs> Beautiful stuff. Look, thank you so much for talking to us, Kat. We really appreciate hey, it. Hey, thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> trivia. Trivia answer. Um, who wrote Journey to the Centre of the Earth? Do you want to tell the nice listener? Jules Verne. Indeed. It was indeed. Um, incredible writer. Wrote 65 novels over his lifetime, although um, quite a few of those weren't published until after after he passed away. Um, when he first started writing, he was a theatre playwright. And initially, he really struggled to pay the bills doing that. So, um, and he wanted to marry the kind of the love of his life. And he ended up working as a stockbroker, which was a bit of a, a sidestep. Uh, but um, a couple of years later, he managed to get a, a novel deal with a publisher. And pretty much from then, he was on a roll. I think he he published about 56 books in, in about 20 years or something like that. I mean, wow. That, but yeah, I mean, really, really pro- prolific. Um Second only to Agatha, Agatha Christie. That is that that hard to say. No, I'm sorry, Agatha Christie. Second only to Agatha Christie in um, translations. So I think he's he's had his books translated into about 150 languages. Wow. So that's more than the Bible, which is that's quite a thing. Now there's a weird thing with these translations, though, because a lot of them were done in the kind of the late Victorian era. And his books were kind of regarded as being um, almost like children's books, not quite, but like what we would call teen fiction nowadays. Yeah. So they weren't really taken seriously as as novels. It's because all the sci-fi nerds hadn't come out yet. Mm, Well, I guess, yeah. And one of the things that happened is that a lot of the books were really, really badly translated, rather than through incompetence or, or... on purpose so a lot of his books have got lots of the stories uh, missing Um, some of the books have been dumbed down like hugely so they've become in whatever language they were translated in they become a child's book Um, but even things like the measurements and he's quite technical in some of the science in in the in the novels and even the measurements are just completely wrong Hmm. which is I mean you wonder how that stuff gets through the publishers you know um Paul Mann suffered very badly with ill health. Um, he had several bouts of quite severe uh, facial paralysis, which um, I think nowadays it was Bell's palsy, which is very unpleasant. He suffered long-term with repeated stomach cramps. And again, experts now think that was probably colitis. And then as he got older, he also got type 2 diabetes. Mm. So, so it was pretty miserable. Um, and this is a real corker to add to that. In 1886, his um, nephew, who he was very fond of but um, had quite severe mental illness, shot him in the leg on Ouch. a family visit. Yeah, which, That's not very yeah, nice. And it left him with a, a permanent limp. Ooh. I'm thinking he comes off the people to invite round to Christmas. Oh, list. but it makes him so much more steampunk because then he had a cane. Yeah, but this was pre-steampunk, so yeah, but, he didn't know that. Yeah, but we know it now. <laughs> now, the, the, the amazing thing about his writing was that lots of his futuristic technology in his novels basically came true. And now, we've, we've talked about this before, you could argue that scientists, when they're looking for solutions to problems look back at science fiction just as a starting point and things go from there I mean there's the famous thing with Thunderbirds 2 being the first um, idea for the space shuttle 
That's mm-hmm. actually tr- that's actually true. But, you know? but where's my flying car? Well, there are flying cars. They're just yeah, terrible and very expensive. They're not like the Jetsons. That's no. what I want. You just want things to look like the 1950s. Yeah, because <laughs> it was futuristic but still retro, you yeah. know? I mean, a classic one is the Nautilus, Captain Nemo's um, electric submarine. That was about 1880-something. Uh, and by the late 1880s, I think 1886 or something like that, they actually did have battery-powered submarines. And it's obvious where the idea came from. He wrote about skyscrapers, elevators, cars with internal combustion engines way before that was a thing, electric city lights and things like city planning, like suburbs, that just didn't exist. And all of those things later on became reality. Also, he talked about mechanical calculators like computers that could communicate with each other or over a network, which is basically one of the very first mentions of the concept of the internet, and that was 1828. Wow. But did he predict that it would be the number one way to share cat memes? Probably not. Mm. No. (laughs) Didn't see that coming, did you? (laughs) So, yeah, an incredible guy. Um, Considering how uh, sick the poor fellow was, he he lived an amazing life and, and churned out, well, that's being rude, he produced an amazing amount of work. So, Jules Verne, hats off to you. Retrogasmic. Well, it's time to say adieu again. What have we got coming up next time? Next show, we have friends of the podcast, the Recliner Rockers. Oh, yes, the legends that are the Recliner Rockers. One of the hardest working bands in New Zealand. Uh, just superb fun live. I mean, you even if they're playing to, you know, a, a couple of people at a at a party or something like that, they put on a hell of a show. They, yes, a show is an understatement. I mean, it's it's like not just music; it's acrobatics, it's it's a circus performance, it's <laughs> everything. It's performance art. We love yes. we love them, and they're, they're absolutely lovely guys too. So, yeah, it'd be a be a be a good chat. Uh, we have another rare blues track. Oh, yes. Um, I think this one's from about 1930 something. That'll be cool. Um, No Winky. Um, She's away on holiday at the moment, but we'll have some more Winky in future episodes. So Winky lovers, do not despair. And a movie review may be in... Well, we'll see. I'm very busy. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, thank you very much for tuning in. Normal stuff. Show us some love on whatever kind of social media things you hang out in. Leave us a review. All that kind of stuff really does help us. We appreciate it. Thank Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bomb.